Hello, and welcome to the second part of The Lost Tribe, Book 1, The Traveler. I am your humble author and narrator, Peter Ivey. This week, I will be reading chapters 2, 3, and 4. If you enjoy them, please like and share. If you're interested in physical copies, the books are all available on Amazon. Just wanted to mention really quickly that some of the music uh, that is brought to The Lost Tribe is by these really awesome guys. Uh, one track is called The Crown by Alexander Nakarada. And the other is Dark Knight by Serge Narcissoff, okay? And they're both found on SoundCloud.com. Anyway, they're credited on the Facebook page. I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you, and let's dive right in. Chapter 2 The next conscious moment I had was one of great discomfort. I awoke, lying on a cobblestone street, cold, stiff, and with one hell of a headache. I was still alive, though. I looked around to see I was on a pathway lined with a pair of low walls. I was not ready to rise to see any more of that. I could see trees down one way, the path leading to an unpaved roadway. The other way down the path, I could see the beginnings of a town or settlement of some sort, although it was hard to tell in what appeared to be a very dense morning mist. I rose up rather slowly and put my back to the low wall, wanting very much to clear my head. I tried to piece together what had happened. The fall through the opening I had made had not happened as seamlessly as I expected. There had been something there. Something between the worlds I had not anticipated. A sudden stop in an endless darkness that brought with it the sense of forever. My mind had tried to wrap itself around that stretching sense of distance and time, but it failed somehow. Maybe it was part of the process, but I truly didn't know. A sudden sense of vertigo gripped me, and I had leaned over the stones to vomit. <laughs> well, at least I know I'm still human, I said, sputtering and laughing. <laughs> I'm reality sick. I leaned back to the wall and tried to recover my senses. A woman suddenly passed me from the way going out of town, stepping around my mess and, well, me, I suppose. She wrinkled her nose and gave me a look of distaste before continuing on up the path. I really couldn't blame her. I was a sorry-looking sight. Of all things, though, I was hungry. Apparently spilling my guts had produced a void that I desperately needed to fill despite the rotten ache in my head. I used the wall to raise myself up onto my elbows. My legs were a bit unsteady, so I took a moment before standing to summon my strength. When I finished pushing myself to my feet, I saw that the path I was on cut through an old forested area. The trees were tall and coniferous, evergreen and covered with a touch of frost. I could smell the scent of pine now, and a cool breeze moved across the path and through the trees. It seemed to relieve the pain in my head, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I began to walk up the path towards an opening that seemed to lead to more streets. I reached the end of the path and entered the city. The buildings around me were strange, like nothing I had seen before. Back in Pretty we never built structures that were so tall and magnificent. I was no backwards island hopper, as my father would have said. <laughs> I had been to great cities before. These buildings were built in long rows and had identical roofs, doors, and windows, save for some individual decoration here and there. Smoke rose from several chimneys, casting gloom over the street as I walked along. I had the impression that it was early morning here from the quality of light. There were not many people out yet. I kept on walking, looking for some sign of food or lodging, or at least somewhere I could get a bite to kill the nagging in my gut. I made it down to the center of town near a fountain and began to clean myself up a bit. The people in the town were giving me a wide berth. They no doubt knew that I wasn't from around here, dressed as I was in my uniform. I took stock of the fact that I was missing my jacket. And the watch! Damn! It had been a nice piece. My scabbards were also absent, although I wasn't looking at doing any amazing feats of swordplay anytime soon. 
The energy that had been burning in me on the ship seems to have evaporated, and I felt a little more wasted than I should have. I rubbed my scalp for a moment and took in the sights around me. Strangely, I could read the lettering on the signs here. If what I had suspected was true concerning where I had come from and where I was now, it would be a remarkable coincidence that the language was the same. That being said, it was as if the lettering was unfamiliar to me for a split second, before it resolved into something I could understand. The conversation around the square seemed to also come to me with a short delay. I wondered how that had come to be. Those same conversations died down when I got close, though. I tried to stay away from most people, but my nose was leading me towards the bakery across the way. As I approached the iron-wrought windows, I could smell a plethora of familiar and unfamiliar delights. I had been at sea for weeks already, and my hunger was at such a desperate point that I hoped my manners would be forgiven when I ripped apart whatever I found to eat with my bare hands. I had no money. That was going to be a problem. I imagined that all places, worlds, ran on money or currency of some sort. I doubt that even my considerable winnings would have been worth anything here. I toyed with the idea of trading my services for food. I had worked the docks at Pretty from when I was ten, so I knew I could make money doing whatever I could on the docks or the ship. Another thought occurred to me, though, and I opened my hands, palms out, and thought of the bread. I closed my eyes and concentrated with all my hunger and desire. A moment passed. When I opened my eyes, I sighed. There was nothing in my hands. Perhaps I wasn't strong enough, or worse, perhaps it had all been some mad dream. Don't be hanging around if you're not buying, growled a gruff voice off to my right. I turned to see a heavy man in his late forties by appearance, leaning against the entrance to the bakery in a dirty apron wiping his weathered, jowly face with a spotted rag. Uh, sorry, I said back away, I just wanted to get something to eat, but I'm kind of broke. He laughed, pointing down at my feet. What's that, then? I looked down to see a sack with a strange arrangement of paper notes sticking out of it. I snatched it off the ground. I could read the denominations off the bills, clearly. I had a brief thought about where I had procured the cash, but my hunger slapped a muzzle on that. I grabbed out a couple of sizable bills and thrust them towards the man. He stuffed the bills in his apron. Something hot, something fresh, and a whole bag of it, I said, laughing. How lucky could I get? It seemed wrong to scoop the cash, but I was hungry. Another thought occurred to me, though. Could you also direct me to a decent tailor? I asked the man as he began to stroll away. He raised his eyebrows, shook his head, and went back inside. By noon hour, I was sitting at a table at a cafe by the docks of the city, which I now knew from what must have seemed like some very strange questions to the tailor as Trelane. I sat there looking out at the sea and sipping something that was damned close to coffee. I had long since devoured the goodies from the bakery. Afterward, I had bought a decent set of modest clothes from a tailor who thankfully didn't ask any questions about a poorly attired man walking around with an awful lot of cash. I also purchased a long coat that caught my eye that would conceal my scabbards, with a hat to keep the sun out of my eyes, and a traveling pack. My old uniform? Ha! That was consigned to a trash bin outside the tailor's. In that alley, I used my power to summon a sword and dagger that looked serviceable. There was no going back now. I had decided that the powers that had so suddenly become apparent to me were a sign that my old life was well and truly over. The only thing I decided to keep was my name, Michael, although my friends had always called me Mick. That still felt right, even though the rest of me had begun to feel so very different. As I sipped at the dregs of my coffee, I tried to sort out what to do next and found that for once there was an answer. My heart was filled with purpose and energy now, and the answer seemed to come a little bit easier. Everything was new. Like when I first set foot in a strange port, I desired with all my heart to see it all. It wasn't just cities or people, there were different worlds out there to explore. 
I raised my mug to the sea, even if she were not exactly the sea I'd known, and toasted to her health. I finished the brew, tossed my pack over to my shoulder, and left. Chapter 3 I traveled through many of this world's cities, reveling in the newness of all that was open to me, smugly supplied with cash and lodging for my unique talents and desiring to see all I could. For a young man from a small fishing village, it really was something to see. There were huge continents crisscrossed with roads that were much larger and better maintained than anything I had ever seen. The people were friendly enough, although I found my slightly rough demeanor tended to alienate me from getting to know anyone terribly well. Even on the Maria, I tended to keep people at arm's length. That was okay with me for the most part, as I really didn't want anyone to get close enough to see me use my talents. That could lead to some unwanted attention. I really didn't want to fight my way across the land. I missed the company of women, but I found that I was too exhausted from walking, seeing the sights, and drinking the local ales to be much used to any woman worth her salt. Most nights I found myself flat out on a bed with a drink in my hand, scribbling notes or thinking about what I'd do the next day. I'd become the ultimate tourist and an unrepentant thief. The act of using the power had become very natural. I found I could control it with much better precision after many hours tinkering in my room in the quiet of the night. I found that the key to using it had a lot to do with the unconscious. Concentrating so intently on bringing something to me was too forceful, like trying to grab with my physical hand. It was more about letting my mind do the work, giving it a gentle push while I supplied the power. I just had to remember that the power was there in my mind and the rest was more like flexing a muscle. I began to learn there were limits, though, to the size and number of things that I could swap. If I abused it, the cost was very high. On one of my more experimental days, swapping one item for another while walking through a crowded market, I pushed too much, lost my balance, and threw up on a statue before fainting in a rose bush. I woke with a head that felt like it was full of splintered and broken glass. I didn't leave the convenience of a bucket for nearly a day. I had pushed my powers over the limit and paid the price. I knew that I would get better by using it and expanding my ability, but all the same, I reminded myself that I truly didn't understand where it came from. I had to be cautious. That being said, I had a damn good time. I learned very soon that I had little control over where the goods came from. Money was the most telling commodity. Soon after, I used my power to grab a sizable amount of cash to pay for my flat. A theft was reported in the paper the next day about the same amount I had taken. Other objects also told the tale. Some of them were not at all what I had pictured in my mind before performing my trick. A sword summoned to my hand could be an antique, or worse, a replica. In fact, the only way to be sure was to actually see the object where it physically was and summon it to me. If I knew the object well enough, I could create a clear picture of it in my mind, and there was also a good chance of drawing it to me. I also practiced doing subtle swaps of one object for another. Suffice to say, I would have made a good living as a stage magician if my career as a vagabond and petty thief fell through. <laughs> I'd be living very carefree up to this point. After many months, I began to grow tired of constant travel, and acquired a decent apartment in the first city I'd grown to enjoy as a wanderer. Trelane was quite a welcome change, and I often took long walks along the docks, staring out at the sea I had bidden farewell to not so many months before. It was on a day that I had been standing on the docks and enjoying coffee that I first noticed that things had begun to grow wild. The weather had begun to change drastically, high winds blowing in from the sea that brought low temperatures that were unusual for this time of year, or so I was told. The seas had begun to roll and swell every day, flooding the dockside and ruined my repast. There were changes in the skies as well, red dawns and lightning storms that would stop and start without warning, and always precipitated by cold winds from no front in particular. 
Some interpreted the changes as some new kind of doom, a malediction sent by some angry forgotten gods, perhaps. Of course, having been a sailor for a good number of years, I laughed off the notion of the storms as being some kind of curse. I had sailed with some men who held such superstitions, but I didn't subscribe to such foolish ideas. I had seen terrible weather at sea, and I thought the locals were overreacting. I knew it would blow itself out, stabilize sooner or later. Then, in what seemed to be an act of defiance to my thoughts, a wave rolled over the docks. It struck me, knocking the coffee out of my hand, and nearly swept me up in it. I clung to the dock for dear life as it rolled out again. I lay there for a moment, sputtering and cursing. I smiled, got up and looked back out at the sea. Nice! Very good! Very good! I shouted, laughing. A rumble of thunder was my only answer. I stopped smiling. The next moment I turned my back on the sea and hurried back to my apartments. Perhaps I was wrong. A few hours later, after taking a quick bath and redressing, I poured myself a drink. From my apartment window, a glass of brandy in my hand, I watched as seemingly random strikes of lightning struck at the section of wharfs that supported the fishing in, in Trelane, until half the building simply exploded while the rest burned. Ah! Oh, I gasped and stepped back. The sky glowed a garrulous red over the wharf, as if some malicious force presiding over the destruction. As I stood there, an odd feeling of foreboding and fear ran through me. I sat down in a chair away from the window and sipped up my brandy, letting the warmth revive my rational train of thought. After all, natural disasters happened all the time. This was another unlucky twist to fate. I was sure of it, wasn't I? I was startled in my chair a few moments later as the window I had been staring at blew inward, showering the apartment with glass and broken wood frame. The chair and I toppled over and I felt the sting of several small cuts in my face from the glass. I crouched behind the chair and tilted it over to guard against any more surprises of a similar fashion but none came. The wind and rain blew through the room, and the lightning flashes that were still going on outside lit everything that was an abject shadow into a cobalt glow. I heard movement towards the window. I looked over into the bedroom door, remembering that my weapons were just inside, but too far away right now. I decided to glance around the chair. It was probably some great seabird that the storm had driven into the city. I peeked around. Through the rain, I could see now that there was a figure standing not too far from my chair in the midst of the chaos. Okay, not a bird. My mind raced, rehashing that I had nothing to defend myself as my swords were by my coat in the bedroom, and if I moved, I would reveal my position to whomever had come. Perhaps a bluff was in order. I stood up from where I was, putting my foot a step away to make a leap for the bedroom. The intruder was a tall, young, broad-shouldered man dressed in a white tunic which covered chainmail overlaid with a mantle that draped his shoulders in a white half-robe. His long, blonde hair blew in the wind as he stood there with his hands at his sides. He had looked around momentarily before settling his gaze on me. At that moment I felt a strange sense of something familiar and terrifying as I looked back at him. There was something else, too, an irrational anger towards him that would not relent. Something inside me sure as hell didn't like him. You know, you really should be running by now, he said flatly. You could at least show me that much respect. His voice carried in the empty space. It had a cold, dead weight to it. I don't even know who the hell you are! I shouted back at him. Well, I certainly haven't met you before, so that could be true, he said. I suppose that could merit a short conversation. All right, I said, stepping up from behind the chair and towards the bedroom door. I know that you are waiting to grab your swords. Please do, along with whatever else you may need. 
Am I going somewhere? I asked, moving to scoop my coat, hat, and swords. I strapped on my swords, threw my coat over my shoulders, and tucked my hat onto my head. I trusted that nagging feeling that I had about him and drew my sword. I stepped back into my room and pointed it at him. A sword fight. How novel. I should let you know that I flew in through the window to get here, he said, propping his thumb back at the open space. How frightened do you think I am of your little blade? Oh, crashing through a window isn't that impressive, I mused. I fought a lot of people who were more legendary in their own minds than they were in reality. Nice touch, though. He arched an eyebrow, held out his hands, palms up, and stepped towards me. He let out a weary sigh. I'm unarmed, you little fool. I'm not afraid of your sword or whatever you can do, he said. I will, however, give you this one piece of advice before you are evicted. Do not linger in the cities on the populated worlds, for you are more dangerous to them than you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I asked. What do you mean? What danger? Your little tricks at all of you can do. Even your very presence are the cause of the destruction you see running mad over this world. This place is not for you and yours. Move on. My mind reeled. Could it be true? Did I do this? Was the lightning and baleful sky mine? If it was true, then I could never stop running. Say that's true, I said, poking my sword at him. Why is that your problem? Think of me as the landlord, he said, smiling. The next moment, his eyes became two silver flares in the dim room, and his mouth opened wider than should have been possible. Great rushing sound issued from him that carried a sensation of pressure that reminded me of when I first came to this world. I tried to run, but it was a futile struggle. The sound hit me, and I felt myself being thrown out of the room, then through the walls, through the city, and out into the storm. The world, then! Everything went dark and I screamed to hear myself in a moment of sheer oblivion. I just wanted to know that I was still alive. I could hear myself scream. Uh, check? As to where I would land, I had no idea. A ring of green fire appeared in the infinite distance, and I flew towards it. Chapter 4 I awoke in a very desolate, lifeless place. All around me were dusty plains of dried mud. There had been a river here once. The sun was beating down on me already as I stood up from where I had landed. There was a stand of bleached bark trees in the distance on a very unremarkable horizon. I was suddenly very grateful for my hat. Water would be better. I had consumed a fair quantity of alcohol before the strange one, or maybe just stranger, sent me here, and my throat was parched. Would have been nice if he'd said, hey, grab some water, instead of weapons. Oh well, courtesy was a courtesy. I started to make my way towards the trees. I needed time to think. Revelations seemed to be abounding now. Besides, there really wasn't anything to see here, and it would be very easy to leave and end up somewhere where circumstances wouldn't afford me the peace and quiet to think. Was the stranger someone like me? That was foremost on my mind. If I was looking for answers about myself in this whole crazy change, someone in the same boat might be able to shed some light. Too bad he just wanted to kick my ass out of the world. That last little mention he made of himself as the landlord could mean that he's something different, more powerful than me. He certainly didn't have a hard time kicking me out. His air of superiority was obvious and seemingly well-deserved. Then again, he seemed pretty desperate to get rid of me, too. He said I was dangerous. What the hell could someone like me do? Sure, I could steal things, invigorate my body with energy, slip between the worlds, 
Yeah, it's powerful and unusual, but did that translate into my role as a harbinger of doom? Was it possible that he was right? I was pretty sure I didn't trust him, or at least I had a deep and abiding set of misgivings about him. But he did seem to know a lot about me that I didn't know, nor could I confirm anything he really said. I was quickly developing a headache, I realized. I made it to the trees, and sat down underneath one, taking shelter in its meager shadows. I took off my coat and laid it across my lap. I would need water soon. It was just about time to travel again. The stranger said to stay away from the cities and populated areas, which for now eh, seemed a reasonable notion. I'd had enough of the big cities anyway. I missed having some of the home base to stick to, like the hold below the decks of the Maria. There, I had been comfortable. Trelane was great too, but I stuck to the docks a lot. It made a funny kind of sense. I guess I wasn't as different as I thought I had become. Now, I really just wanted some answers. I wondered if it were possible to find other people like me. Maybe they were constantly on the move because of the stranger. I just had to keep on moving until I came across one of them. That possibility seemed a bit unlikely, but I had nothing else to do. I wasn't craving any, and I wasn't craving another chat with a stranger just yet. I wanted to hear the truth from someone like me. I picked myself up from the dirt. I made with the words and opened the portal. It was time to ramble on. My first meeting with the stranger in Trelane gave me some knowledge about the supposed effects that people like me had on a place when they were around for a while. After that, I had learned to look for the signs of the disruption. I visited many worlds after the desert, staying a few weeks in one, a few in another, staying around long enough to maybe catch one of the others coming or going. The signs appeared here and there during my visits. A word from a world I visited suited them all. Omens. They were really nothing you'd notice at first. A flame turning color in your presence, a sudden drop in temperature, maybe a sudden sense of fear in other people when you are around. Then along came the thunder and the lightning. I always left before it got too wild. It seemed that the longer I stayed in a place, whether I used my powers or not, there would be a warping effect at the very heart, like clay being worked on a wheel with unskilled hands. I began to look up records in places that bothered to take account of such things, and found that the omens had been happening for a longer time than I'd been around. That could mean a lot of things, but chiefly that there were other people running around like me, people who might possibly have been around longer than me. I was excited by the notion of the others, but I had no idea how to run into them. There was, however, one person I was sure that I could run into if I really wanted to, and all I had to do was stand still. There was no small sense of satisfaction in the notion of forcing a meeting with someone who seemed to not like me much and wouldn't tell me why. Of course, he could just send me away again. I really didn't have anything to bargain with. He hesitated once, though, and let some things slip. Maybe I could play dumb again. It was worth a try. I needed time to put the odds in my favor. I moved from world to world, looking for the right set of circumstances, and traveling exhaustively from place to place. I thought back to when I started doing the whole nomad thing, remembering how much I had preferred it. Now, I was getting worn out. I decided I would settle for a place where I would be risking the wrath of the stranger or someone of his ilk much sooner than I had envisioned. I stayed in a small fishing village in the Arctic region of a world with little technology and industry. I stayed in a small fishing village in the Arctic region of a world with little technology and industry. The people there did not speak my language, but I understood them eventually as the power seemed to adjust me to do so. I found I could pass myself off as a decent hunter. They took it to be my stake in the village, my purpose for, my purpose for being there. It was a quiet place, small but very close-knit. They accepted me after a few hunts, and I took a place by the fire with the rest of the hunters. 
Only one of the hunters seemed to be interested in who I really was. Let me know it often and at great length. You look like a sheep herder, Simi said, chewing on a hank of deer meat by the fire, greased from the meat drabbling into his great black beard. Is that what you did? I told you, I replied, turning from my bedroll where I was trying to sleep. I was a sailor. You have the hands of a woman, very soft. Simi came around from where he was sitting and punched me in the arm. I threw off the blanket and punched him in the chest. He laughed and made a big show of falling over and onto his ass, moaning over my little jab. He pulled out a skinning knife from his furs and began poking at the flesh of his other palm with the point. See? Tough hands. No blood, no wound. Put out your hand. He rushed over and made to grab my hands. I slapped his hands angrily away from where I lay and sat up. He came at me again with the same result. I'm warning you, Simmy, I growled. Back off. Oh, the sheep heard the warns me. <laughs> this time he came in and got one of my hands. I panicked and suddenly his knife was in the grip of the other hand. His eyes opened wide and he was about to open his mouth when I tackled him. I put my hand over his mouth. He was looking at me and I could see in an unfamiliar look of fear. Shit. Shh, I whispered. It's just a trick people know how to do where I come from. Not even worth talking about, right? I'm going to let you talk soon, Simmy. But I just want your word that you're not going to talk about this, okay? He nodded his head. I took my hand off of his mouth and got off of him. I sat down a couple of feet away and held out his knife to him. Keep it, he said. That was a good fight. I didn't want to fight you, Simmy. I know, he said, raising his eyebrows. That's why I did it. What? If you don't know the nature of a thing, it's best if you poke it until it does something that shows you what you need to know. You could have just asked. You might lie, then. I sighed and rolled back onto bed. Mick? Yeah, Simmy. Show me that trick again. <laughs> Not right now. A moment passed and I began to drift off. My nights went this way a lot. It all felt achingly close to the sense of belonging I desired for myself. In that time, my hair and beard grew long, and I tied my locks back in the carved beads of fish skulls. I looked very much the part that I was playing. I found that it was a good time to be alive for me and Taroche. There were even days that I found that I didn't care about finding answers or seeking others like me. It was utter idiocy after six weeks or so. I was fooling myself, and I knew it. The wavering rainbow lights in the night sky that had always been present as we held around the fire became flares of scorching lightning that etched ugly scars in the tundra and melted the ice flows so that steam rose up into the air from the shore. My fellow hunters, of course, saw it all as a bad omen, and many began to pack up their gear to move south until the bad weather abated. After a few days of violent storms, a great cracking sound echoed across the frozen sea, and a massive fissure appeared in the ice. It widened to become a chasm from which steam boiled and whirled in great gusts and streams. I knew this was no coincidence that I was on hand to witness such a calamity. After my experiences in Sri Lanka, I knew it was coming next. It would not be long before he came, and I desired a conversation. The night this stranger came to visit again, the sky had truly gone mad, becoming a white glow that was interspersed with green and purple lightning bursts that left afterimages on the eyes. The air smelled of thunder and ashes, but I stayed in Taroj as the sky fell and the land burned. I could feel the energy gathering around and above me like an ocean swell. Those who could not leave Taroj barricaded themselves inside their homes, and they prayed to pagan gods to deny their wrath. They feared me, then, the mad hunter who stood in the tundra in the middle of the storm and cried out in defiance in the sky. I knew what I was risking. 
but I wanted to know more about what I had become. The storm was gathering. I walked out onto the tundra the night he came, fully dressed in furs and my long coat, which was now stitched with hide and a fur collar. Lashed to my back were my weapons. I bore a Simi's light, balanced skinning knife, and a long boy fleshed myself from whalebone and bear hide. This time I would not be going anywhere except by my own means and by my own choosing. I just had to be very lucky. I drew my bow, notched an arrow, and looked up into the maddening sky. Here I am, you arrogant prick! I shouted. Come down here and get me if you think you can. I didn't have to wait very long for the response. A star came out, big and bright as the sky. A thunder broke across the dome of the world. The light began to descend, whistling like a bomb as it fell towards me. It hit the ground in an earth-shaking thump twenty feet away. I moved forward cautiously. The air was filled with dirt and snow from the impact. As I approached, the air cleared, and I saw, standing confidently in the middle of the destruction, the stranger. It was the same as before, with the same cliched entrance and sense of arrogance. Is all that really necessary? He turned to look at me, as if noticing for the first time. You again, he said, frowning, as he lifted his hand to point at me. You were warned, traveler. Oh yes, I remember, I mused. It was a very one-sided conversation. I'm here to get some answers. I am not here to answer your questions, he shouted angrily. Not even if I ask nicely, I said, drawing back the bow. He turned his head and smirked. What do you expect to do? I loosed an arrow. He raised his hand and the arrowhead smashed to bits against it. He was very fast. He picked up the shaft and broke it between his fingers. Do you know what I like about human beings? They are very easy to deal with. They are born, they live, they screw, they make more of themselves, and then they die. They also run when confronted with something they do not understand and cannot possibly kill with a bow and arrow. That would be you, Traveler. I tossed my bow on the ground. He began moving towards me. You're right, I said. Killing you is beyond me. However, you did forget about the other things that humans do pretty well. We're damn good at killing each other. I pulled up my knife and put it to my throat. He stopped moving. Before, back in Trelane, you could have just killed me. I have no doubt that you have the power. But you didn't. A moment ago, when I saw how fast you really are, I know that you could have killed me instead of trying to intimidate me with your big speech. It's all been really impressive. But I've got a hunch that you won't do it when push comes to shove. You are betting a lot on that assumption. Perhaps. But I don't have a lot to lose at this point. I know there are others like me. You've said as much. I just want to find them. I want to get some answers. Why do you think I can help you, or that I will? You don't have a choice, remember? I said, tapping the blade against my neck. He stood there, observing me for a few moments, and then looked up at the sky. You are correct in the notion that I cannot kill you. Good for you. However, although I cannot kill you, I can push you into a world where humans never got to the top of the food chain, and perhaps whatever is at the top will do us all a favor and eat you before you get the chance to shift away or use one of your tricks. Fair enough, but you won't be able to do it before I off myself. I'm assuming that you answer to someone or something else. You don't strike me as a leader, but more like a follower. I'll let you go if you just tell me how to find the others. No. No? Do it if you are going to do it. You have nothing to barter with. I'll not be held in sway by such as you. The stranger was infuriating. He had called my bluff and I was done with his superior airs. Ah, kill him, Simmy! I shouted, dropping the knife. The stranger looked puzzled at my words. 
Then Simi and the other hunters, who I had convinced that the stranger was the source of all the calamities and that I would draw him out for them, sprang up out of their hiding places in the tundra and loosed arrows and hatches at the shocked visitor. My friends were magnificent and deadly, draped with wolf hides, their beards caked in snow, their eyes flinty and hard as they let loose. Their weapons were well made and suited to the purpose at hand. As they took their shot, I took mine, rushing forward with the blade. I moved towards him. Every other arrow was picked out of the air and destroyed. The other sunk into his flesh, or whatever it was that he was made of. The hatchets glanced off his armor. I felt a couple of the arrows pass close to me. I knew it was dangerous, but this was the only way I could think to get in close while he was distracted. The stranger grunted as one of the hatchets finally struck home, and his left arm went limp as the blade cut deep into his shoulder. Arrows kept on flying at him. He looked up at me as I drew closer, and he raised his hand up in defense. I batted at his side and tackled him to the earth. I put the blade to his neck. He was in no shape to fight back now, and even though we couldn't kill him, I proved that he wasn't in control anymore. Oh, I think I have something to barter with now, I whispered as I grabbed his hair and pressed the knife harder. The other hunters came out of hiding and formed a circle around us. Simi nodded at me in greeting, a wry little smile on his lips as he saw that it was his knife that I had against the stranger's throat. The others whispered back and forth. The stranger was motionless, save for his eyes, which were locked on mine. His wounds did not bleed, and he bore a look of disappointment. "'You are right, traveler,' he whispered. "'But what in particular?' "'I cannot kill you. I am forbidden to do so.' "'That's a start,' I said. "'But what about the rest?' He shook his head. "'Only one more thing will I tell you.' He grabbed my arm with his good right hand in a tight grip and smiled. It is all a sham, he said through gritted teeth. I do not need to make a show of it to make you go away. I struggled, but I felt the familiar easing impression, roaring of sound. The next moment we both floated in the momentary nothingness. I reached out to grab at him, but he began to fade away. Be careful what you wish for, traveler, he whispered as he faded. He got me again, the bastard. Thank you for joining me for another reading of The Lost Tribe. If you've enjoyed it, please like and share. We'll see you next week for part three.